Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck is Stannies? What is happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast, WTF. Welcome to it. Let me just tell you who's on the show today. Griffin Dunn is here. He's on uh, I Love Dick, that uh, that show that Jill Soloway's doing, the one I talked about with Kevin Bacon. Um, and special guest, Bill Burr. Bill Burr's going to be here in a few minutes because his new uh, new season of uh, F for Family, the animated Netflix thing, that's starting up on May 30th. But um, isn't it nice? It's a weird thing, and, and you know, obviously most of you, I think, will understand. But uh, now that uh, the president is uh, away for nine days, I, I really had this... Look, I, I didn't grow up this way, but I really had the feeling... I think a similar feeling of relief if you have like this shitty, horrible dad or stepdad and he and he goes out of town on a business trip. They're, they're sort of like, whew, ah, maybe we got a few days, a few days of uh, of somewhat uh, relief. So I'm back from Chicago and uh, whew, had a great time shooting another episode of Easy with Swamberg. Um, it was me, Michaela Watkins, uh, Jane Adams. And it was um, it was pretty cool. It was pretty it was pretty great. I'd never really worked with Michaela. She's been on the show here, but it was uh, it was pretty uh, it was fun. It was there were some local uh, Chicago actors. It was great. And I'm in Chicago, and some of you know that my cholesterol is a little high, and I've been eating better, and I've been on the pills, and I don't know if they're working or not because I haven't had time to go to the fucking doctor. But um, but it's, it's interesting, that slippery slope, you know, because I'm in Chicago. Yeah, you know, I got to get Lou Malnati's pizza. And then Joe Swanberg likes to go out for these dinners. And the place in the hotel was good. And, you know, by the end, by the end, I'm like, I'm eating steaks. I'm fucking just, you know, it's, it's just weird, you know, how in certain people's minds that, you know, I, I, I'd like to live a relatively long time, you know, naturally. I, I don't know what outside circumstances could uh bring that all to an abrupt close for many of us maybe all of us who knows exciting times but but like the slippery slope from like yeah you know it's like a the, don't the statins mean i can eat or then it's just a slippery slope from you know doctors they don't they don't know everything i mean i'm not going crazy i'm just it's just for a week and then you know right from there to you know there's you know i i mean things get 
get get get hazy in the beliefs. You believe what you want to believe that'll accommodate your own fucking needs at that particular moment. Yeah, it just it depends where your brain's going. Maybe maybe there is an antichrist. Maybe there's some validity to this end times prophecy. Ah, uh, you know, it's it'll all be okay. It'll be okay. Fuck it. I'm I'm eating some ice cream. It just it, it's a slippery slope there. You know what I'm saying? Do you know what I'm saying? So right now my buddy Bill Burr and me talk about his new uh, season of uh, F for Family on Netflix. Premieres May 20th. He stopped by. I always like talking to Bill. This is Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school or in some cases any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature. And now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Fox Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Fox Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcasts. Me and Burr. Congratulations on the uh, child. Oh, thank you. I don't. I don't. I think I said that to you uh, in, at the club, but I've only seen you once. I since. believe as you walk away, you said, "Good luck with that thing." Yeah. <laughs> Swear to God, and I just laughed. I love comedians. I, I thought that was funny as hell because I didn't take that as an insult. It's just like we don't know how to. We don't know how to be in that moment. Well, I don't have them. You know, I've, yes. I. You know, and I. It was never. I, I've avoided it somehow, and I'm not. I, I don't know. I, I wasn't trying to be cynical, but uh, I can only base it on my own experience and how I came out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there you go. There you go. I mean, I think that's actually a very, uh, uh, like, you know, you evolved yeah. thought. Like, yeah. No, know. I, I obviously want you. I hope. It, is it amazing? Yes. It is every cliche. Do you, do you talk about it much? No. <laughs> On stage because it's just been awesome. So yeah. there's really no reason to. Uh, you don't want. You're not looking. You're I not- actually what I've more been making fun of is other parents who talk about how difficult it is. Yeah. Now look, obviously, if you're broke in your 20s and you have a kid, I, I, yeah, that's going to be like a difficult yeah. thing. But the bottom line is, we've been having babies since yeah, yeah. everybody. Since They've been in caves, and it was a lot. Sure. It was that was when it was harder. Sure, that's sure. the bit. Is basically some woman laying on a rock, yeah, giving birth with no drugs, right? As you're fighting off a pterodactyl, yeah, and yeah. now you're in a house or an apartment where you can control the weather, so, yeah. And and you, there's a lot of books you can read, and there's different devices and things and eye carriers, and that, yeah. And yeah. However, single moms and all that type of stuff, yeah, all that type. They still no, have to work. That that's obviously hard. But I'm talking about like you know. You know, white women who are married and they're living in nice houses who every day at four o'clock, go, yeah. oh, I, you know, only two classes and then you're not an alcoholic. You know, right, those right. people, they go to a cheesecake factory. There's a trolley at the mall where uh-huh. they go to. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like they, the, they're, they're all right. No, they're like the level that they <laughs> complain. I can't listen to that. I can't listen to them complaining. Right. Right. Yeah. So, you drive off in some $60,000 SUV with some yeah. NASA level car seat for your kid. Yeah. Yeah. Just trying to get the kid to the, to the sitter so you can go you to yoga no class. Idea. You have no idea just how tiring and uh, 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 <laughs> she says, shut up. Shut up. 
So how old is the uh, daughter, right? Yep, she's a uh, little over three months. And, uh, and you, this is what my yeah. the proudest dad moment I have yeah. is numerous people have said how chill, relaxed, and happy she is. And I swear to God, dude, like I joke, like I come home, I go into like, like, like I'm a big fan of Tom Bergeron. Yeah. Like, like that guy's like the, his ability. Like I watch him on Dances with Stars, and he has to deal with some lunatics yeah. on there. And he has this ability to be there, but not be there. But he's there. Sure. He doesn't give a shit, but he does. Yeah. And he just—it's like he is in this Zen mindset. I go in there, and I'm like, like I just think of that guy. Oh, he would really? come in smiling, <laughs> and you know, no matter what happened, he'd be like, "Oh, it's well, I'll be right back after this." He has the like that is an—I'm not shitting on the guy. Yeah. It's an incredible skill. He's a Boston guy, right? Didn't he start in Boston? Which is even more impressive that yeah. he grew up in that angry <laughs> soil, and he can come out of that. And it's just like, like I like that's the guy I so want to like. It just rolls off his back. I, I'm, she, my he, wife watches that show, and there was just somebody clearly, after every dance, trying to get a twelve picture movie deal, right? Rather than just killing the dance and right. just standing there like a human being, yeah. She's like, doing all this shit, this stuff, right? All this crazy, over the top stuff that was hard to watch forty years ago, and he just sat there going, "Well, okay, well, I guess I didn't need that shirt. All right, blah blah blah." Where I would immediately be like, "You know, will you get the fuck off of me, you fucking lunatic? Isn't it? People saw you dance. You're ruining it now." Like I would have done that, and then I would have looked like the asshole. That's why you're not hosting that show. Yes. That's a but job you but I am hosting for. a show when I come home, which is I pretend that I am not a complete <laughs> lunatic. So <laughs> I've already worked it out the first time I know when I'm when I snap in front of her. Yeah. And she's able to communicate that that's what happened. I'm just gonna own up to it. Be oh, like, good. you're right. This you're, is you're planning this, that. This is something <laughs> Thank you for calling me out. I've been waiting for this moment. Yeah, no, I'm I'm <laughs> I'm working on this. Okay, <laughs> really? you gotta help me out. Cause you know, you know how you're learning how to ride a bike, like daddy's learning how to do this. So I come so I'm not not approachable. So right. she can look at me in the moment of anger, you know, flipping out over over, over you know, updating my iPhone, you right. know, all the serious yeah. stuff in life yeah. that's worth getting right. angry about. I like that obviously. you're preparing for this already. That it hasn't happened, but when she's able to understand and talk and everything, you know you're going to do something angry and inappropriate because I know myself. Yeah. Well, that's good. I know myself and I am hardwired. Like, dude, I I walk around at a 6. So yeah. to get up to a 10, like my resting like having a great day. I'm like at, at five and a half. Yeah, you're already halfway there. Yes. more than halfway there. Yes. So right. I'm. I've been meditating. I've been. I can you get, have. I can get it down to like a three. Mom, my wife already knows now. She goes, "You haven't meditated lately," and that actually bugs well, me. You've been meditating. Yeah. How does that go? It, it's it's good, but like it's the classic thing where the it's an app that you listen the head, to. The head headspace. Yeah, headspace. You've been using headspace? Yeah, which they I'm said, sure, sure is like a hacky thing, but no, I No, they sent something. it to me and you know, I've been talking, I've been talking about it on stage too. My my the one time I had the experience uh, of of meditating successfully. But I, I There is no success when all you have to do is try and just trying and just being. Yeah. That's what they do. And that's the kind of thing that you guys like you and me, how we're wired. Yeah. It just, yeah. See how you're gritting your teeth as I'm talking to you right now? I, I didn't that's, even like your version of that voice. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, that's that's the hardest thing about Headspace yeah. is as you start to get relaxed and everything, yeah. the dude keeps talking. Right. And you want to be like, will you shut the fuck up? I'm there. Just yeah, like, ease up. But you have to just have it be like, oh, this is just... Like why am I why am I having this reaction to this guy? You got to let it go by, right? You just got to yeah. let it. You don't hang on to it because the problem, Mark, don't you see, uh-huh. with the person you're sitting across from, yeah. is I have two emotions: yeah, not angry and angry. 
What about sad? So, well, if when I'm sad, it, it, it goes it's right to turned, anger. Yeah, it's like I'm literally I'm a one trick pony. <laughs> like remember those those sad acts? immediately is put through the filter. It's immediately put through the transformer and turned into anger. But wait, but so tell me about the meditation practice. Well, you're trying to do it every day. Yeah, but I, I well, like five minutes, ten, what? Yeah, I've gotten up to like twenty, and like there's this thing like this. Uh, I tw- over twenty years ago, I started meditating. Yeah. And just out of pure ignorance, yeah, I was able to kind of get to this place where it literally felt, you know, as you were just imagining, you know, your your diaphragm basically breathing in and out. Yeah. All of a sudden, if you feel like you're floating, it feels like your stomach is like you know nine miles. Like yeah. it feels like it's across the room. Yeah. It was amazing. So then, out of body experience, almost sort of. Yeah. So then I felt like, oh, I have this down. So then I'm like, okay, I just need to do this, 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 and this, and then I'm I'm up here again. And now I can't do it. Then it becomes frustrating. And then it becomes like, I didn't do it good. I didn't do it as well as the last one. beating yourself up. Yeah. And, and it, it's, it's, uh, it's so challenging. I, I'm finding it so freaking challenging. But like the bottom line is even if I don't get to that point, which is most of the times, when I'm done, I kind of have like that fuzzy feeling between the ears of like, I just kind of like, kind of, you know, ejected everything out. Oh man! So, so it, does, it doesn't build up. That's because well, that, that's the thing. If it, the fact that my after me just doing it for two months, I stopped for a month. My wife could tell after three weeks. She goes, "You haven't been meditating lately." And of course, that bugged me. You know, yeah, yeah. That she knows me that well. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean? And I'm like, all right, now nah, you're right. You're right. I haven't. She goes, I can tell. What are you already defensive? You know, she's yeah. right. And you're like, what are you? What are you talking about? Yeah. yeah. How, how dare you know me? <laughs> That means I'm vulnerable right now. Oh, I know what I'll do. I'll get angry about yeah, it. I'll it's ruin so, it. Back in the day when you had your phone, yeah. you just you could decide, I don't want to update it. Right. And you could keep the phone forever. Right. I used to, have to take pride in that. You until got the seven, so, until I got, still got the four. Until it got so slow, Yeah, it was, like, it was like anything. the size of like one of those school bricks, you know? <laughs> you couldn't do anything. That was the no, problem. No, no, because I, I don't do shit on it but talk and text. So still? It would, so it wouldn't, yeah, it wouldn't fill up. Right. I mean, obviously I get emails and stuff, but Where I don't do you think put that, the Headspace app? Well, no. So now what it is, now the new thing yeah. is you. if you don't update it, then all of a sudden your texts come in like half. The, they they forced you to do it, so you fill up the phone, so then you then turn it in, and then they sell it to some kid in a third world country. They just, they can never have enough, and it just, there's something- They got to bu- keep you buying it. Yeah, that's what I don't like. Well, that's the well, that's capitalism, so maybe I you should work that. towards it. <laughs> no, I understand. No, but there's, there's options. Sure. What happened to stuff that just lasted a lifetime? That's the big question. Repairmen disappeared. And that became that thing where people people are stuck in this mindset of like, well, you know, it's going to be cheaper to buy a new one right. than the old That's one. That's right. I, I agree. Planned obsolescence is a, is a horrible thing because nothing, you don't have, you can't believe in any products anymore. No. And then it all ends up in the fucking ocean or in a landfill. Oh, yeah. The swirling. You're the one who told me about the swirling yeah. iron uh, island of garbage. Yeah. You know what it is? Also, one of the other driving forces too for me, and yeah. I'm real. I'm getting much better at this shit. Is getting in control of my anger issues. Is uh, is that's really the only thing my wife has on me? Yeah, you know, it's a big fucking thing. But if I could eliminate those moments, to level the playing field, then it's just like, what is the problem? Mm-hmm. I'm making a great living. I got all this free time. I'm killing it as a dad. Yeah. You know, you got, I always you, tell I always tell her how beautiful she is and how much I love her. Yeah, I mean, you, if I just you, you know wouldn't stab my laptop with the everybody's yeah. got their Achilles heel, right? Yeah, you want that moment where she's got nothing. When she comes at you, you're like, you got nothing. What do you? I'm got? perfect. What do you got? Yeah, everything's good. Yeah. So like I said, I'm yeah. going to Mexico four days with the buddies. Yeah. With the fellas, what are you gonna say? What do you want? <laughs> <laughs> so the new season of F for Family. 
F is for family. Yes, sir. That's what's happening. You, fin- you finished two. it. Season two. Season two. How long two. did it take you to do that? Uh, a year. And then uh, it comes out May 30th. And if it gets the amount of stars or thumbs up, whatever Netflix is doing. Then, doing another one? Yeah. And the writer's room starts up in June. So it's taxing. Uh, a lot more work, huh? Yeah. But you know what? Unfortunately... I work, the people I work with are, are fucking hilarious. I know, I met those guys. They're good guys. I don't know your yeah. writers, but I know the production company. Well, I work, Mike Price, the great Mike Price from The Simpsons is hilarious. He's just such a nice guy. Yeah. He's just a great guy. Thank yeah. you, you know. Uh, Dave Richardson, all these guys that we work with over there, everybody is, is um, it's a fun room to work in. And there's a lot of ball breaking. None of the none of the ego yeah. pecking order shit. Everybody's yeah. just sort of shitting on each other and- uh, and you know the table reads are fun. Who do you got doing voices over there this year? Uh, same as we have, we got uh, Laura Dern um, does the uh, the voice of uh, Susan, and um, got Justin Long. We got Sam Rockwell. We got Mo Collins does so many. She's so funny from Mad TV. I remember her. She kills it. Haley Reinhardt, um, who I forget what show she was on. Uh, she's a singer. She was on one of those shows, and she came in. She does the voice of Little Bill, and that's one of the hardest things is to have a a, a little boy voice before you know his yeah, balls drop. Right. It can be really annoying. Yeah. But she's got that raspy thing, so yeah. it sounds like she sounds like like she does such a great job. Um, uh, Debbie Derryberry, uh, uh, David Keckner. I oh, mean, it's yeah. just um, just monster monster line. You know. Yeah. I I learned watching Seinfeld, but he was like I surrounded myself with the. The, sure. The best talent I could get and people that I felt like I could get along with and that's what we've been doing. So they've been propping me up. Yeah. And uh, But voices are fun. People have fun doing them. You know, because you, yeah. you've got a lot more, you know, it, that when you get into that booth and you can just, you know, keep doing a bunch of different versions, there's nothing at stake. There's no film. There's no crew. You know, just a guy on a best. board. What, before, before anybody's drawn anything. Yeah. And then they're going to draw to what you did. Yeah. That's when it's the freest. But with each version... You know the walls start closing in, so you, so you got to make sure you're there. You and, do it. You know what I mean. You do. You you actually do a uh, uh, like a radio play first. Well, yeah. You 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 do the table read. You know. You see okay. what happens. You know what works, what doesn't, mm-hmm. and then uh, then you go into the booth. You record the episode, and then they take. Then you listen to the episode. You take the best takes, and then you splice together the audio, and then you send it out. And then the guys in Ottawa, big jump. They uh, they animate it, so then it comes back and it's really in the rough form. Right. So and then this is you know all the work starts coming in where it's just like it's not like a lot of the stuff that you go you do on your show where it's like okay I'm going to be sitting here and this person's right. over there. Yeah. They don't know that, so they just start putting people in the scene. So if it's like why is Frank in the kitchen? He should be you know oh, right. sitting down on the stool. So <laughs> yeah, they got to yeah. redraw that. And, um, you know, have him move his arm more when he says this word. It's weird. Then it becomes like, wow, this is so much work. Um, and then with each one, it's it's more drawn. There's more layers to it, and it becomes more locked in. And then it gets to the point where you're almost getting ready to lock the thing. Is now, if you don't, if a line isn't working, yeah. you have to come up with a line that's the same amount of syllables oh, so yeah, it fits yeah. the mouth right. that's moving. So yeah. it's definitely creatively a challenge. Um and there's no there's no way I could do it if I wasn't working with the people. And I got to tell you, you know, Netflix gives great notes. They're great notes. They they make sense. And you know, the people that I work with over there are actually cool yeah. industry people. Actually cool. Oh, no, yeah. I've hung out with them at comedy festivals. They're they're a great hang. 
And I feel like, you know, I, I really, you know, hit the lottery. So I'm trying not to mess this thing up. So now is this kid going to age or are you going to stay in the same world? No, no. But what it is, it's kind of cool. It's like every uh, every season is basically a semester of school. Oh, okay. Or maybe like a season, I think, is we're going to do like winter and then it's, you know, fall. And like we started last year, we were like in the fall. So yeah. I think, yeah, we got to do Halloween and all of that and into Christmas. And now this year we're doing like sort of, uh, we jumped ahead a little bit, but it's the winter time. There's a little bit of snow in the ground. And, um, you know, Kevin's getting more into his band. Bill's getting, you know, gets a paper who wants to try out for hockey. And, um, you know, just like stuff that either I did or my brothers did or people down the street did. And, um, you know, Frank lost his job on the last one. So now he's hunting for a job. So, you know, I just wanted to have them be standalone episodes, just like the, uh, the Simpsons. Yeah. And it was Netflix idea to serialize it. And at first I was like, I don't want to do that. And then it took the writing to a whole other level. Right. Where everything had to be connected. And it's just like, I mean, the show wouldn't have been, you know, I don't think half the show that it is if it wasn't serialized. So once again, that goes back to Netflix giving good notes. So I'm really thankful that they said that because my dumbass was like, oh, who wants to see that? <laughs> and then, I, then we started writing. I was like, oh, wait a minute. This is awesome. This is kind of amazing. Right. So, Well, that's great, man. Congratulations. And how's the, uh, how's the drumming coming? Oh, it's going good. I, I, sold, I sold all my Bonham fanboy saw, stuff. Yeah, yeah, Dino showed me. You got Dean selling it for you. Yeah, because mm. Dean's, Dean's the best. And yeah. uh, somebody bought it, and I just finally realized... You know, I had that, and it was a 1970 Green Sparkle Ludwig kit, 26-inch bass drum, 14-inch rack, and then 16, 18. I had, you know, the Superphonic snare. I had a Rogers hi-hat. I had the the pasty cymbals that he used, yeah. all the same size. Yeah. And guess what I sounded like? What? And me. <laughs> Bought all of that, and then I was just like, just from doing stand-up, I was like, I'm literally trying to do somebody else's act right now. Right. That's when the, the epiphany finally hit me as I came home with, <laughs> you know, I even have a picture of John Bonham like near the drum kit and shit. And I just, one day I just pictured, what if John Bonham somehow came back to life and for whatever reason came over to my house and I was like, hey man, I'm a big fan. Come on, check out my drum kit. And I think when he, if he saw it, it would have weirded him out and he would have slowly backed out of the room on like some single white female <laughs> shit. That's when you start to walk down that road that you're playing shit that other people play can play easily but yeah. they're like why does that sound so much better than when i do it which is where i've lived my entire drumming <laughs> right yeah i do the same thing with guitar you find your thing and you just sit in it and you're yeah. not gonna you're not gonna open it up until somebody shows you something yeah. i mean sometimes it's just little things like if i go do conan o'brien jimmy favino will always come in and show me a few licks and i'll be like holy shit I, that's how you do that yeah and, and i don't do it at home you know, uh -huh. but when he shows me one, I'll work the shit out of it. Just that little bit of new information, you're like, it's a whole new world. Yeah, that's Fuck. amazing. I have such like I'm such a, a obvious fanboy of um, of the the musicians that can sit down, yeah, at at their instrument and and play in the moment what they're feeling. Yeah, and it's and it's flowing out of them the way a comic is riffs on stage, right? Like you know, yeah. Like I've had a lot of great like comedy music conversations with dave and the, the the overlap of the two art forms is it, it's this it's the same thing having it, a craft in place to do what you want to do yeah it's get out what you want to yeah, get out there's those drummers that you're going to go see who are going to you know live with the band are going to play it the exact same way right and i remember i used to love those guys when i was a kid when i go to the hair metal concert yeah. and then i would get upset when the guy changed the solo right like he didn't play it right <laughs> 
And it wasn't until now I realized, like, he probably played it that one way that one time. Yeah. That one fucking time. And you're the one asshole who said, fuck that. Like, that's the way to do it. Yeah. The way he did it that time. And it's just like, no, the reason why that solo sounded so great was that's how he felt in that moment. And that's the way it came out. And then, like, you know, art is not recreating what you already created. Right. There's an art form to that. Yeah. Some cover bands are amazing. But, like, I don't want to live in that part of art. I've yeah. done that, yeah. and I became John Bonham's <laughs> single white female, and I've <laughs> and I, uh, I I occasionally have a panic attack, like because I dreamed of owning that kit, yeah, and I got to play it at the Roxy on Sunset and yeah. shit, and it sounded fucking amazing and all that, but it just it it wasn't me. It, it's stupid, dude. It'd be like if you went out to a club and you had the Eddie Van Halen guitar. Sure, it's anybody who's a musician in the crowd's gonna be like, all right, what are you gonna play Eruption now? Yeah, like. Why don't you just tattoo? Eddie Van Halen was a huge influence on me. And it's like, you're not going to have your own voice. Like, I think I would probably be a snob fucking musician. And if I saw that, I would give the guy like like a minute to impress me. And then I would I would go up to the bar. I would walk out. Yeah. What's well, a good point, though? Like, but, you know, it, it's also realizing that, you know, sometimes we take for granted the work we put into what we did because we just didn't have any choice. And we were on those stages doing that shit. And then yeah. you finally get to a place where you're like, I'm not afraid and I can say whatever the fuck I want. And if it doesn't yeah. go well, doesn't matter. I can get out of it. Yeah. You know, and, and now like to, to take it to another sort of form which is music or drums, and then yeah. starting to put that shit together so you can sort of surprise yourself you know, and have that, those old moments. Elitz showed me this uh, this Tony Williams drum solo that he does. He goes, just watch this guy right now. He's completely in the moment. He goes, watch this right now. He plays this thing on the snare and then tries to mimic it on the bass drum, and he goes, and he completely eats shit. Yeah. And he does it in front of a live crowd, and he is like, da, 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 whatever the fuck yeah, he does, yeah. and then he goes, and it just fucks up on the bass drum. And you see him, he continues to play, and just makes this face of like, ah, that didn't fucking work. <laughs> and it's just like, and it blew my mind. It's like, this is like a comedian trying to joke, yeah. and it bombs, and you just make fun of yourself, and then he just kept going. Yeah. Where and I was just like, wow. So this the same way there's like comedians who like word for word write their stuff out. Yeah. And it's just like I always open with this, and right. then it goes to this, and then it goes to that, and then and the, we all did that at some yes. point. Yes. Yeah. And that is an art form to do that. But I didn't realize that when there was guys taking drum solos, they were also doing that. Yeah. Like wait, they had this all worked out. I just thought they were just like right. It's like well, some ripping. of them do, but some that I feel you know reach a higher plane of like they they felt something they started playing it and then that made him go to the rack tom and then that made him go over here and all of that yeah. and like that's like the like i just feel like it's so much easier to do that as a comedian because sure. it's like you've been talking since you're a baby yeah yeah and so it's like you're, you're always doing this but for them it was like that's a they had to learn a whole new fucking language and then they can speak on that instrument as fast as i can sit here talking to you yeah that's to me is like that's what keeps me coming back watching all those drum videos guitar videos and I, I swear to god i'll literally watch somebody play a trumpet if they can fucking kill it you know what's funny is i i try to like i'm trying to do this with comedians but i can do it more with music as i just look at like if this person's just trying to be a pop band yeah i'm looking at it like that yeah no that's a good thing so that's trying to I, make hit what, songs was great yeah it was great yeah but uh everybody's like, oh that's fucking lame fucking Jimi hendrix they yeah. named the same fucking 12 sure, bands sure, it's like yeah, dude yeah. you're naming shit that everybody agrees yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great. Yeah, you just got to put people into context. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to do. Good talking to you, Bill. Always a good time, man. And, uh, you know, this was like the perfect time. It's like a quarter to 12. I know I can cruise home. Yeah, no no worry. And, you're not, and you don't got to go far. No, I don't. You're close by. I absolutely. It's always great thank, seeing you. All right, you. thank you, buddy. Bill Burr. 
So, Griffin Dunn. Griffin Dunn will be here in a second. And uh, I think I think my entire house smells like salmon. It's weird. I've got a, a vent coming out here into the garage that doesn't really work. But I had them build an air conditioner line when I got the system put in years ago to just run out to the garage. So, the actual venting is outside getting heated up by the sun so it basically comes in heat but if i cook anything in the house it just infuses the garage with the worst of that smell whatever's cooking it seems to pull out the worst of it and dump it right here into the garage so there's a a fine salmon mist happening in here so griffin dunn he's been through a lot and many of you remember uh, After Hours, great movie, American Werewolf in London. But he's doing an amazing job on this uh, new series, I Love Dick, on Amazon with Kevin Bacon. But uh, it's, it's always good to see Griffin Dunn. It's good to see someone you haven't seen in a while on screen and off. I had met him a few years back, many years ago. But uh, he's doing well. And it was, uh, it was a real, uh, real privilege to, to sit down with Griffin. And this is me and Griffin Dunn chatting chatting as we do here in the garage so you were around then yeah i was at the uh comedy club comedy store uh, comedy store really during the kennison rain Mm -hmm. yeah and i was doing a researching a uh, i had a deal at warner's to play a stand-up comic and i was developing the story so i would go there a lot yeah but sam was always there he was always screaming my name whenever he saw me it was very exciting and yeah he could do that yeah 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 and it made me feel very welcome and then uh (laughs) that was a a very uh loaded welcome (laughs) yeah it really was there's always a price to pay for that welcome (laughs) absolutely and i paid it (laughs) uh yeah and then i I went around and i uh to a club called sir laughs a lot and um Memphis. Oh, really? Yeah. What were you doing in Memphis? That, that was what uh, I had the studio. You know, I was like research, so I was like, let's go to that one. I love the name to Memphis. Interesting. Yeah. Well, it, it, Sir Laughs a Lot was the first appeal, mm-hmm. and then Memphis was just the gravy. Right. But like, what happened to that project? Uh, you know, you had another undeveloped development deal. Yeah, but like, what what was the angle? Oh, the angle was a uh, yeah. the. The uh, a story that's been uh, told many times since of a um, struggling comic the early yeah. years, the what goes right. on, and yeah, yeah, you know, finding your voice, finding yeah. your act, and, yeah, and, and, um, and just the the unglamorous life <laughs> of being, um, you know, on the road and driving yourself from gig to gig. Yeah, all that matters is the stand up, and the rest is just dirty. Absolutely, it was so dirty. <laughs> It was so dirty, and I stayed in the motels with the with the guys yeah. and, and uh, yeah. chicks and yeah. the hookers. Did you stay with the condos? Did you do comedy condos or all hotels? Or? These were motels. Good for you. Yeah, you got in it, huh? Oof. Well, you, you got a taste, and then yeah, you got absolutely. out. One chick told me, uh, she goes, I, I, I'll go with you, but I got the clap, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then, as if that was a negotiating point. Yeah. You, you know? did? Yeah, no, I didn't go. Oh, yeah, oh, good. I said I didn't really want to get the clap. It was a weird period back of my when life. that was all you had to worry about. Yeah, that's the, right. The that clap. was my biggest problem. Back, back when it, when <laughs> when VD had a cute name. I, exactly. Oh, just it that. Was, oh, you got the clap. Just go know, to the dock. I know. Go to the like, dock for the clap. Yeah. Before that, it was the vapors. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, do you? You don't live out here, do you? I don't. I live in New York. Right. You're yeah. like a full-on New York. Full-on New Yorker, but I grew up out here. You did. How did that work out? Like, well, what was your? Were your parents together? Uh, my parents, um, my my parents moved from New York here to here when I was about two years old. Why? 
My dad was a uh, got a job as a uh, television executive. Oh, he right. was in live television, right? And then he came out here and and uh, started a company called Four Star. Charles Boyer, David Niven, um, David Niven. Yeah, I, I mean, incredible. Uh, a gig young four four stars started wow. this this studio. But your dad was from here, though, right? Yeah, yeah, he was from. Uh, well, he's originally from Connecticut. And right. He, he he was a, you know, worked in New York in live television. I said, and then he came out here in about '59, and loved this place. And and he's a movie producer. And the, yeah, he started off in television and became a movie producer. So you grew up in the business. Oh, very much, because my dad, on top of everything else, was also an incredible schmoozer and uh -huh. socializer. Yeah. And uh, well, that's how I he, he never that was always him. Yes. Yeah. I mean, he was. He would give parties, exhausting my mother. Yeah, at least you know once a week. They went out six nights a week. And this is so, a, a, the sixties and seventies, so it, Hollywood is still like spectacular. Well, and you small know, towny. It's it, it's very small towny. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it it doesn't know what it's gonna what what's Become. gonna hit it. Some, <laughs> um, you know, it's like <laughs> which um, but which thing? <laughs> you know, Dennis Hopper right there on your wall yeah. is about to rock their world i mean oh, oh it's before so it's pre-69 yes so, exactly. so you're saying hit the that period yeah they think dr doolittle is the way of the future <laughs> and yeah, uh yeah yeah you know musicals it, too yeah, right? musicals everybody loves yeah, a musical yeah. and uh we they just need another oklahoma uh-huh you know since i've become i was so young um you know i was like you know from six to about nine I wish I knew as much about movies then as I do now because, I mean, I'd love to. George Stevens would be at our house all the time. Oh, I'd no love shit. to talk to him about Giant. Right. Um, you know, William Wyler, Billy Wilder. They were there. Yeah. Yeah, just hanging out. Just hanging out. He drew an incredible crowd of um, of the greatest filmmakers in Hollywood. It's so funny because I talk to guys, you know, um, who, like, oddly, the one who gave me the biggest insight into that era, in, into the shift was uh, Ed Begley Jr. Oh, yeah, sure. Because Same. he was just running around. No, we know? talk about that all the time. Oh, he, you do? He, yeah, yeah. He's uh, he's he's older than me, but but the overlap is um, right. Is, is right there. Because his dad was a character actor, but but he also was like kind of a wandering soul and was mm. doing the party circuit in the early 70s. Yeah, no, he was totally on the scene. Yeah. Um, you know, I Before remember... Before he was an actor. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, and, and a much in-demand dude because he was so fucking funny yeah i can't say that right sure you can so funny like he has a story about sh uh, finding himself out at the spawn ranch wow yeah like oh, he, i haven't I, heard that yeah like he i don't think he met charlie or hung out with manson mm -hmm. but he went out there for something to pick something up to do something yeah well and you forget that it was like well charlie was around yeah, he was around. Yeah, <laughs> take take one of his girls. He won't mind. That's exactly right. He mm -hmm. always brings the good chicks to the party. That's who he was. Yeah, yeah. That's right. That was his. Kato Kalen gone wrong. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> There's always those people in this town, man. Absolutely. The, that service the darker needs. I, yeah, I know. Well, I, I'm not on their mailing list. No, I, no. I, I don't know who they are anymore. Well, now it's all very insulated because yeah. uh, there's just too much social access. Mm -hmm. it's, it's all, you know, yes. there's a lot of uh, things that have to be signed for anything to transact. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> so, like, growing up, it was uh, you and you had what? You had a brother and a sister. Got a brother and a sister. And um, and you're all out here living the life. You got a pool. Got a pool. Uh, were you up in the hills? No, we were in the flats. Mm. And, in the uh, valley? Or out here in Beverly Hills? Uh, Beverly Hills. Uh-huh. And uh, you know, had a house that looks like um, it looked like a house you'd see in like uh, Greenwich, Connecticut. Or, oh, really? Or, or more 
Hartford, Connecticut, really, which is where my dad was from. That's why he bought the house. He, now, is your dad one of these it. these guys uh, like uh, like Mayflower family type? No, no, no. Oh, Irish, no. Irish. Um, a great grandfather came over, famine. Oh, okay. Twelve years old, right? And so not old like, money, Connecticut. No, no, no. It all came from him, though. He's an extraordinary man who uh, uh, became. He's like a Horatio Alger figure. He, oh, yeah. He, yeah. He, he's at, at eleven years old. He was sweeping out the grocery store, and then within ten years, he bought it. Yeah. And parlayed that into buying a bank. Ended up getting um, knighted by the a knight of Malta from the Pope, and schools are named after him in Hartford. And, no kidding. Yeah, he would lend. Um, he was like a much beloved guy. He was. Oh, a, wow. He came over illiterate, and then he became also a great, you know, passionate about literature, uh -huh. and, and and would read to his children, you know, Yeats and oh. all the Shakespeare and. So and, oh, that's an amazing story. Yeah, and he just and he and he just infused my particularly my uncle and and father with this love for literature. And your uncle became the big John writer. You're done, yeah. And yeah. he's and your aunt's Joan Didion. Correct. That, yeah. That's uh, so you had quite a life on both coasts. I did indeed. I did indeed. It's funny. Is one one was like the zenith and decline of the '60s with my parents, and then in Hollywood, in in Hollywood, yeah. and and then the with John and Joan, they were like in the you know hot spot of the '70s with know, the with the sort of literature and with the literature and and filmmakers. This past six years, I've been making a documentary about her. Uh, really? Yeah, I'm just about finished. Really? That's yeah. a hell of a passion project. It sure is. Well, well she's well, worth it. Yeah, so how how are you putting it together? Well, um, we started off with um, Kickstarter, and I then got more money since then, and now I'm, you know... You're doing good? Com com coming to a close. So you, have you been interviewing her over the last six years? Or uh, are you using a lot of archival footage? using a lot of archival. Like Dick Cavett appearances and stuff? No, no, she never did Dick Cavett. She but, never did? Mm -mm. No, huh. she wasn't doing talk show stuff so much as... as uh, uh, but she did a lot of press, both she and John. And there's a, there's a lot of archival stuff and a lot of stuff we dug up. And um, But also, you know, at the center of it is an interview that uh, I did with her uh, over a period of a few days yeah. some years ago. Yeah, and and what 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 did you find out about her that you didn't know? What was revealed to you in terms of the relevance importance of your aunt Joan Didion? <laughs> well, a number of things, but 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 one of them is how important how how important and deep an impression uh, the landscape of California and of Sacramento and and that sort of homestead morality and work ethic lives within her it, it it's made her survive this long mm -hmm. and she's outlived all of her friends and um, you know her husband and 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 she basically she wrote when she was um at vogue at the age of like 21 or 22 uh, a piece called on self-respect that yeah. is became sort of a i don't know a guidebook for how to live your life and how to live how to be able to sleep in your own bed yeah and how to live without shame and and to be a woman too and to be a woman yeah and and it was particularly embraced by the by the uh, the women readers yeah and she really hasn't changed at mm. all it's the same it's the same person all the way through despite all the things that um that life has dealt her uh-huh um yeah i think it's her um innate western sensibility that that that's kept her in the room longer than anybody else. That's great, and and I imagine that she must uh, enjoy the time 
that you know to to be involved and to you know have you hanging around she she but also yeah what also keeps her most alive is is work but so when did you like when did you go back to new york and start the uh the well i imagine you got the acting bug pretty early I, you're I, uh, living in it here well yeah i i um more i had the new york bug i went i remember going to new york um you know, when I was about, I don't know, eight or nine, and I just knew I was going to live here. Yeah. I lived there. Yeah. Um, I just I just loved the energy of the city, and my dad had a funny sense of humor or dark sense of humor, and, you know, um, he uh, we were standing at a street corner, and this, um, and people were so brusque and rushing around. Yeah. And, you know, we went there because uh, they were researching Panic in Needle Park. Yeah. Which my dad produced and John and Joan wrote. And so... Uh, Needle Park was like all junkies, and I thought this was even then. I thought that looked glamorous. Yeah, uh, but it was all seedy and so unlike the clean look of Beverly Hills. And we were crossing the street, and this like old lady, you know, needed help. And my dad watched me just take her elbow uh-huh. and and help her across the street. And he goes, "You know, you're you're way too polite for this town." <laughs> and oh, he goes, no. "He goes, did you get her purse?" <laughs> You're supposed to get her purse. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and I don't know. I just loved it. In that planet of the seed, you're like, this is both darkness and goodness. Yes, that's right. Yeah. I can make this work. The darkness. I can bring them together. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because like I imagine uh, in L.A. at that time as a kid, you know, the, the darkness didn't seem as tangible and menacing, though arguably it was probably more so. There was an underlayer that right. as, I, as I got older, it's all I can see yeah. uh, of what was really going on, you know? <laughs> Um, <laughs> Therapy, huh? Yeah, there we go. Lots of it. <laughs> so, when you, when did your family move back to New York? They never did. I was oh, the really? only one. Yeah. Oh, is that true? Yeah. Well, what happened was, uh, I I moved to New York in uh, uh, in the seventies. Uh-huh. I went uh, went when I was eighteen uh, after a very unsuccessful career in high school, which um, was what being kicked out. Uh huh. And then I moved to New York. Yeah. Why'd you get kicked out of high school? Pot. Like oh. right now, I'd be given an award for it. But um, <laughs> really, you know, yeah, yeah. All, all, yeah, all, like a stupid joint. Really, Boom, you're out of here. In 1970. In uh, 74. Oh my God. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Anyway, um, so so uh, so I came to uh, so I moved to New York and um, and then while I was in New York, you know, a lot of misfortune happened uh, self-inflicted misfortune happened to my dad in terms of losing all of his money and his his life went into haywire really and he had sold all his belongings and he moved to oregon how do you lose that much money that quickly the bottom just fell out no uh, uh, lots of booze helped oh um lots of enemies oh Um, no kidding he 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 alienated a lot of people Mm. and uh he he was washed up as they say in this town and uh, he moved to Oregon. So we moved to Oregon only because his car broke down in front of this motel. And so anyway, he lived there. And and then afterwards, after he'd written a book, he moved to New York. So then he was the next person to go. And well, he lived down very the street. Jarring. So you're like, you know, 18 or 19. And all of a sudden, like everything you grew up in is just gone. And yeah, well, dad's in a hotel. Well, my mom, my mom who had, you know, my mom was comfortable. But but dad oh, was. Because they had gotten divorced they, before they divorced. he lost everything. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, so she, okay, good. So she left him at the peak. <laughs> <laughs> she, she she also had most of the money too. But oh, good. Uh, um, yeah, he you know he was in a. He, what does she do? Uh, she's um, she's not no longer alive. She's uh, uh, she was a daughter of a, a cattle rancher. 
and um, and the ranching family did did quite well. Right. So she didn't really work. She got she had MS for most of her life, uh-huh. um, and so she had a. Um, uh, she spent the last half of her life in a wheelchair mm-hmm. and eventually bed. And uh, incredibly strong, beautiful woman. Um, you got some tough genes. Yeah. Cattle ranchers and Irishmen. No shit, I know. I'm very proud of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so anyway, then, then he moved to New York and, you know, started nice. over, lived in an apartment smaller than I had, and I was a waiter at Beefsteak Charlie's. Beefsteak Charlie's? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All you can eat salad bar. Yeah. Were you guys close? Yeah. Well, when he came back, we were very close. When he moved to New York? Yeah. yeah. He lived in the village. He lived down the street from me. And, you know, when I moved to New York, I had this, like, the boxer kind of a, you know, I wanted the whores on 7th <laughs> Avenue to know my name, you know, and I wanted all You the romanticized bouquet. the decadence. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, the Bukowski characters. Sure. And I wanted them to call, hey, Griff, and, yeah, you know, yeah, and all yeah, that yeah. stuff. And yeah. So my dad had only been living there about two months. We were in an outdoor cafe in the village. And, like drag queens and hairnets go hey hey dominic hey dominic and you know hey nick nick and uh, every village character damon runyon esque i go how do, i've been living here for two years how do you know these people and he just went the rooms oh yeah the and rooms. he was legendary you know as a storyteller uh-huh. you know and so his so he got sober oh yeah his his rehabilitation was remarkable it was really rising out of the ashes uh-huh. And uh, stayed sober the whole rest of the life. Oh, always. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Except pot. He was really into pot. Yeah. Again. But, um, but you know, he became a writer and a very successful one. And uh, so then, then my aunt and uncle moved. So all, we all ended up in, in New, New York. York. Right. Um, but I was, I was the first to move. And when did the acting start? The acting started a few years after I arrived. Did you train? I went to the neighborhood playhouse. That was your place? Mm-hmm. The, yeah. And what was it, a class situation? It was like a pretty much of a school. You yeah. know, you had modern dancing, yeah. and ballet dancing, you wore a dance belt. There was a teacher who um, was uh, uh, studied under Martha Graham. Yeah. And she took it very, very seriously. And I had a very hard time taking modern dance very, very seriously. Mm-hmm. I looked so ridiculous and tight. Were, were you there to dance or there to no, act? No, it was or? like to get an all-round oh, yeah, thing. Right. I mean, thing. I think there was yeah. even fencing. Sure. It's important. Um, very important. Yeah, movement. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I would, uh, uh, but I would just make up dance moves on the spot. Autobiographical dance moves. Thank you very much. A, mem- a memoir of movement. A memoir of my feet. <laughs> <laughs> they should have appreciated that. I. You would have thought. Who was your acting teacher? Sanford Meisner started the school. Was and, he still around? And he was just on the final, final year of his life. He actually had his larynx removed. Uh-huh. So he had one of those machines. Oh, wow. Solid me, I graphed you over it. And it was like, oh, shit, I'm just a year too late, you oh. know, because I didn't get to <laughs> just the cusp. I had no sympathy at all for his problems. I was like, <laughs> yeah, I'm I, getting this all it. And then I go, yeah. I can't. What, my timing, he's dying and I'm about to have <laughs> Son of a bitch. <laughs> but you, didn't, you weren't able to glean anything from him? No, he was pretty much... Done. Done. So, but I had a wonderful teacher afterwards with the Meisner method, or Ma- total Meisner method. Meisner method, which is which is basically um, using your imagination to pretend. You don't need to dig in and look at your dead wife, and, right? You know, right? Anti method. Yeah, you make it, it up, asshole. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, pretend it's cold. Yeah. Um, so, uh, 
And this guy named Freddie Caraman was my acting teacher. And yeah. Huge inspiration. What now, like, sometimes when I talk to actors now, like, I, I'm curious, because the Meisner thing, Meisner exercises are sort of legendary, the, the repetition. Exactly. Uh, yeah. You know, and I've talked about this on the show, but what's interesting is, like, are there things, because now with uh, I Love Dick, which I watched, uh, I think, five of them. Oh, wow. Like, uh, you and Kevin are, are very different actors, I think. But what do you use from that time? Like, because it seems to me when I talk to actors, there are things that happened in the first year that they learned how to act mm -hmm. that have sort of ingrained, you know, that as part of your process. So when you do it, what do you do first? Yeah, well... It all goes back to the simplest thing. I don't know why I yeah. have to spend thousands of dollars. Because you got to someone's got to teach you this to learn thing. how to. All you'd have to do is listen and be present. Yeah, and boom, you're there. Yeah, and then um, you know you you arc a performance and you. I I, I think if, arc you mean that uh, you, arc, you see the end. Yeah, you 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 kind of see where this character, this journey yeah. is going. Right. No uh, matter how long the piece is. Yeah, and but you don't play the end. Right. You just play the moment so the trick is getting present listening and and still making choices i imagine do you do the choice thing i do the choice and then and then hopefully i've uh you know the incredible thing on this uh on on the series was you make a choice then she and jill will go or andrea the director they'll go okay you made the choice now let's try something different let's right. try something i love different 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 right. try different things there's no mistakes there's no we're not in a hurry. Yeah. You know, have fun. Yeah. Th those are my favorite directions. Well, the funny thing about you is that, like, I hadn't seen you on screen in a while. Yeah. And, uh, you know, my, you know, my knowledge of you for, the, you know, was sort of initially, you know, pounded in with American Werewolf in London and then After Hours. Mm -hmm. Like, those are the two big Griffin Dunn movies. I know you've done a million movies, but as a kid. Oh, no, it's true for everybody. Like, right. Yeah. So, but what was it, what I always like when I haven't seen someone in a while is that, you know, you have a very specific aggravated intensity. <laughs> <laughs> there's yeah. there's a way you lose your shit that, that hasn't changed. Right, no, Sanford and, Meisner didn't teach me that. <laughs> like, like, I'm like, there it is. That's the same guy that was freaking out in both of those other yeah. movies, in every movie, if it, you have the opportunity. I, I only know how to freak out one way. But but that's good because mm -hmm. that, that type of acting to me is appealing because that gives me hope that, mm -hmm. that you know, you, you are fundamentally dealing with your own emotions. Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah oh yeah that's that's all i got yeah so when did you start working as an actor um like you it took me no it took me it took me a while it was you really, did the full program at the neighborhood playhouse no, i did a year and yeah. then i then i studied with uda hagen you did who, yeah who was like terrifying and brilliant i talked and, to someone else who did that as well what was her method her method was well the way i got into the class was yeah. by sheer lying yeah um i and I, you did i did an audition from Catcher on the Rye, I forgot every word when I got up there, and I just talked like Holden Caulfield about and told a story about being on the phone and coming up. Just I just yeah. made it up about phonies. And she goes, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And but it was like me doing Holden. Uh huh. And she goes, I loved it. Oh, darling, oh, darling, you're wonderful. And she could tell um, I was a little out of my league. All the other, they were everybody else was working actors, but her thing was, if she liked what you did, yeah, she would terrify you she would scream at you uh-huh because she, she cared so much and go what were you thinking when you did this and the worst thing that could happen would be if you did your scene and she went oh darling that's wonderful okay who's next no she didn't care anymore 
Is that, that was, what that, that meant? was devastating. Right, you it, wanted her to yell from her chair. You right wanted there. her to, yeah, you wanted to get her out of that chair and come over and mock you in front of the whole class. Right. Because that meant something. And Acting teachers in chairs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Not what you want. And, and you know, students would, uh, and these were professional actors, people would like vomit before they did their scenes. You know, oh, for it Uda? was like, yeah. I think there was a period, it was very fashionable in, uh, in acting circles, um, for the teacher to break you down, I guess, in preparation for how tough life will be outside of class. Yeah. But um, but that was the, the kind of, every class I knew, everybody who was studying, had a teacher that would just like fuck with their head. You yeah, know? And destroy the ego, get destroy, them, the yeah. throbbing mass of talent and sadness. Exactly. And Uda <laughs> wasn't, wasn't like that. She yeah. was, it was a different thing. But um, I was thinking... Um, you know, I, I haven't taken a class in a while, but people I know who do, there's a much more, everybody has a much softer approach now. Everything's but more But you supportive. do a lot of directing. Yes, I do. And you yeah. do a lot of sort of community, you know, oriented theater stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So you are in a position to educate. Absolutely. I try to, in a supportive way. You yeah, know? And, right. And, and uh, yeah, I don't subscribe to that terror, school of terror acting. Um and in making people, you know, screaming and yelling, make, making people afraid. Well, I think there was a period there where not unlike, you know, post, uh, what was it, the group theater and then the, the Method and then Meisner and then Uda and then Strasburg and then, you know, all these like kind of like the, the teachers themselves became these these stars absolutely these mythical right. stars. A- absolutely. And, and you, like, you wanted to be abused by them. Exactly. It was like a cult, you know. I went to one in New York. I can't remember the guy's name. His first name was Mark. He was an old guy, and he was like a, a, a Meisner. He was that generation. Mm-hmm. I wish I could remember his name, uh, but he was of that ilk where, you know, just this older man who sat in a chair with all these young people around, and you waited for him to yell at you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was an honor to be yelled at. By just watching Hogan. like one after another, you know, sort of mm-hmm. like um, childlike grownups, you know, moving towards tears. That yeah. was like- you know, Absolutely. That, yeah. that they took you there. Yeah, and I, I don't know to what end. I, that's what I mean, too. And, and and I wish I had a little movie of these abusive teachers, what they're like when they get home, you know, yeah, yeah. in their tiny little apartments and they're, you know. Well, they, a lot of them are failures, right? Well, exactly. exactly. That's why all that rage comes out and, and they take it out on their, on their students. Yeah. Um, but some people learn things. I think the guys, the people that developed the ideas, like it seems like that the, the movement of, you know, whatever created what well, it was the group theater right in new york yeah yeah, yeah with yeah. uh with, harold clerman yeah like the the guys who pulled stanislavski from russia into a sort of socialist idea yeah that, that crew yeah clifford odets, and, odets yeah and, and um you know just in um john garfield yeah, came yeah, out yeah, of there yeah. and stella adler who's right. the, the greatest one. teacher oh also. really you took study with her, with her you did i took study with her for a summer in and, New York, uh, no, in out LA. here, because like, she's the one who came out here. She yeah. was, uh, she was West Coast method. She, she would, she came out here. She'd do a stand out here, and then yeah. she'd go back to New York. And when she got really excited about something, and this is in her, eight, she's in her eighties. Yeah, when she got really excited about something. She'd grab her blouse and pull it down. And you'd see her tits like this for like one second. Yeah, and go ah, and then she'd pull it back up. She goes, "That's acting." <laughs> <laughs> and we go, "Did I just see that?" <laughs> Was it, is that a good thing? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> she was an incredible teacher. I loved her. So okay, so you're working with uh, with Uda, and then how? What do you? So start? anyway, uh, I, I get, I I I get this. Um, 
I get this play. It's called The White Album. And um, I got some attention from it. Yeah. Sidebar, when it went on to a bigger production for whatever reason, yeah. um, Kevin Bacon was in the same play and not me. Um, so but that's did... when I first heard of you two. That's when we first heard really? of you Really? So, because, yeah, he was in New York and you guys were contemporaries for we this, started, all this time. We started like within minutes of each other. Do you, or, do you, or... Have you guys talked about oh, that? Oh, sure, sure, yeah, yeah. sure. And so, uh, anyway, then I go to a an appointment what was uh, the white album about dude? it was uh by a guy named david rimmer who sadly just passed away and it was about a uh it was about four kids in the 60s and yeah. the t- these two when these two albums kind of came out around the same time a beach boys album but uh, pet sounds on the white album yeah. and how it affected these two group of kids oh okay. uh, the, uh, yeah these uh, four kids uh a beautiful beautiful play uh-huh um so anyway i get sent to this audition uh, I meet this guy named John Landis, and we talk for about fifteen minutes. And he says, uh, "I only got one question for you: Are you uh, claustrophobic?" And I said, uh, "No." He goes, "Okay, cool." And I figured, well, that movie's about a guy trapped in an elevator. Or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, then, then my phone rings, and it goes, "Hey, Griffin, I'm, I, I got an armed guard. He's coming outside, and he's going to hand you a script, and I want you to read it, and then call me right back." And I read it, and it's American Werewolf in London, and I loved it. And I was so hoping to play Jack. I loved that part so much. And I call him up. He goes, you like it? And I went, yeah. He goes, do you want to play Jack? And I went, yes, yes. He goes, "Um, I got to ask you again. Are you claustrophobic? I said, no, I'm not. Yeah. And he meant, of course, because my head was going to be in plaster. Right. For the plaster cast. Just breathe out of two little straws. Right. In my nose. So. No reading, no nothing. He'd never seen me. He'd never met me. Uh-huh. He gave it to me for whatever reason in those 15 minutes he saw the part. And then next thing I know, I'm in England, and I'm and I'm shooting this amazing movie. That was the first movie mm-hmm. that you ever did? Yep, yep. And that, like, that was such a great movie. It was, we had no idea how great it was. It was, it was, uh, it was ridiculous. It was like menacing and fun at the same time. Yeah, it was somehow. like, it really, uh, other movies have been given credit for it, but it really was the first movie to um, combine horror and humor. Like yeah. That. So you were really in, you were like, you're right away, you're, you're somewhere else, you're doing big makeup. I mean, <laughs> like six hours of makeup, <laughs> you know, I, I, and I must say, I loved Rick Baker. I hated that damn makeup. Oh, you know? really? It, well, it was a different... They, they do it differently now, but they glued it onto your face, and they'd have to keep... And it would shrink and pull pull on you. Yeah, and, yeah. And it always had to be touched up. And, and, and then the worst part was taking it off. It took like an hour then to take it off. Right. Um, and it hurt. And so it, then that movie was successful. It was not. It was... <laughs> <laughs> to, to our chagrin. It um, no, I, it became successful when, uh, you know, VCRs came in and then people rediscovered it. It was like people were annoyed. Well, critics were particularly were annoyed. How dare humor find a place in the horror genre? Really? Yeah. Like who? Like Pauline Kael? Like, yeah, across the board. You could read all across the board, I think. I don't remember the names of it, but I would yeah. have Vincent Canby or whoever was doing it at the time. That was their beef? Those yeah. fucking... Uh, yeah, yeah, those authorities. Yeah, on, yeah, those um, highbrow motherfuckers. Highbrows right? on, on the uh, genre of horror. They, they wanted to protect the horror genre. They really, that, they felt very deep. That at it. that point, no one was even giving a shit about. Yeah, and then, of course, then, like, Ghostbusters will come out and they'll go, this is brilliant, the way they combine yeah. the yeah, two. Right, you know, like, right. you fucking assholes. It was right there, ten, you know. But... What's it was a real disappointment. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, I didn't, it was my first movie. It was exciting. I wasn't yeah. devastated. Yeah. Um, 
but but you know all that time i was um because i was not working very much as an actor yeah and i really love working um i'd actually um been producing you know my while with maybe the, ch the chance of giving myself a part and amy robinson my producing partner for many years and and mark metcalf what was the name of your company triple play productions now was your dad helping you out no no he was still he was still slumming it oh know? really but well, no we, advice uh be careful son <laughs> they will kill you yeah <laughs> actually quite honestly it was it was it was kind of terrifying to to kind of get into the business closer knowing that this was this is the same business that right. destroyed him it was a little different because they'd gotten over that hump of the set, the sick late sixties, and mm -hmm. so now it was a different field. It was a different field, a different yeah, generation, yeah, yeah, and yeah. all that kind of stuff. But uh, but you know there's still some overlap. Uh, you know with um, you know Bob Evans and Sue Mangers right. and all those people that became his arch enemy were still in power. They made the transition. Yeah, they survived. Yeah, he made the Godfather, but no, yeah. he's he's staying right where he is. That's right. Mm -hmm. And uh, so you did you produced a film, I produced a film called Chili Shins of Winter. Uh huh. Um, and I had a small part in that. Yeah, and actually, that was that's how I got my first acting job. That was from um, by, your, yeah by giving myself the acting job, um, and then American Werewolf came after that. Okay, and then what else did you produce? Uh, Baby, it's you. The oh, the John Sales movie. John Sales movie. Michael Bauhaus shot it. It was that's his a, first that, movie. That, that was a good, that was a sweet movie. Yeah, yeah. I'm what very, happened to Vincent Spano? I know he's been directing, and oh. I haven't been in touch with him for a while. He's still he's still pals with my pal Matt Dillon. And uh, so I so I hear about him from from them. Yeah. Like the smart guys get into directing. Yeah, that's where we go. Yeah, yeah, TV <laughs> yeah. or like well, it makes a lot of sense that you know actors, of course, become directors. You know, you just know how to. I I, I I've always noticed that many of the directors I've I've worked with, and you know, have spoken to, they talk passionately about every aspect, but the, the talking to the actors scares them the most, or or it's is the foreign most foreign to them. Really? Um, um, well, I had you know who I had in here, um, Walter Hill. Oh God, yeah, I love him, man. He said something straight for me, sort of like this idea that that uh, people have that the director is somehow guiding the actor. It's just not true. I mean, <laughs> really, what what you know, we're hiring someone to do a job. Job, exactly. You know, and it is sort of like it kind of it didn't blow my mind, but to to hear it in that sort of nuts and bolts thing, and so of course that's why you hire them. This mm -hmm. idea that these great actors are guided by directors is is really for the most part a, a misgiving it's like you know you hire you cast somebody because right. they do the job a director does not want to see a doe-eyed actor go tell me what to do it's got to uh, be a nightmare yeah and and you know woody allen will write a 15 page scene he wants to do it in one take right um no direction and you just better have your shit together right have you uh, worked with him i never have there's time. Uh, yeah. You're, yeah there you're, is. You're, it's a resurrection. It's in, it's yeah, a new, it's a total resurrection. It's, it's Griffin Dunn's time again. <laughs> Woody, the, it's a fourth I'm time. back. <laughs> it's the fourth time around. Griffin's That's right. That's how exactly how I look at it. <laughs> again? I didn't even get another shot? Oh, my God. Please don't let me fuck this one up. <laughs> <laughs> well, so after hours, well, that was like, you know, I guess, you know, I mean, it's no mystery. I don't know how much you talk about it, but, you know, the tragic... Loss of your sister must have been like uh, a horrendous time in yeah. terms of like you know career and personal and everything else. Yeah, it was a terrible, obviously a terrible thing. But it was it was a uh, you know something. Um, 
it was it, it, it came at a time of um, professionally a lot of very of, of good fortune and you were just starting to I, take I was off. starting and everything yeah. and and I was so and my mother also at that time was 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 quite ill with MS yeah so it was a um, something I've gone to a lot of therapy about was was you know that that terrible feeling of of having something good happen yeah. was something people you love something terrible has happened and yeah. and they're happening at the same time and you so you can't enjoy one thing and you feel bad if you do and you you know it's it was a um and uh, everybody knew about it it was it yeah. was like it wasn't like some you know personal inner family tragedy it was a a it horrible a, event that that was you know international news and it was uh and something that i refused to talk about and in certain unless it was you know family or, or yeah. friends um but uh you know that my father was um and and, and my mother they both took this um this tragedy yeah. and 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 made it um, a, a source of power. You know, my father became and mother became an advocate for victims' rights. Um, it led to my father becoming a journalist, writing about um, murder trials. And, and he was and, the OJ guy. And he was the OJ guy. He was the um, um, Menendez brothers guy. He, you know, he covered. He covered. Um, he covered all the big trials. Well, you know, I can't imagine. Before. You know, no matter how public. Uh, the 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 tragedy is that the the sense of justice not being served when it was clearly you know that that it should have been that yeah, no, you it's can't, outrageous you can't like what do you do with those feelings and it happens you know all the time it does it does and and that you know that guy who murdered your sister you know walked away and lives in the world that you know the only way i guess that your parents and the family could reconcile that is to become active that's right, and and uh, you know they they put their my my mother's responsible for something called Marcy's Law, yeah, uh, which is where you have to um, the parole. You'd think they didn't need a law, but the the parents of of um, whoever the criminal has has killed, the, yeah, the, 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 that if they're out on parole, they have to let the family know, right, that the killer's out back on the streets again. You'd think. Right, that that would be because no it would brainer. happen over and over again. Yeah. You'd see the killer in the supermarket, you know. And right. Anyway, and then and um, so they put their energy into that. My my energy uh, on the advocate level went into and continues to be my passion. I've been involved for a long time. Is is uh, gun violence prevention and gun control. Ugh. And I've been working. Um, well, I'm now with Brady. I work with Brady. Oh, but you do? Before that, um, uh, I've been. Um, you know, just working with 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 gun control sure. groups for a long time. Yeah, it's important, and it's not going to get any better. It's not getting any better. It's getting worse. Everything's going away. It's it's one of those. It's yet another, you know. Yeah. Sidebar tragedy of, of shithead American culture and mm -hmm. politics, and yeah. you know. No, it's mystifying to me why there's no never any traction on it. It's powerful but lobby, I guess. It really is. They are formidable. Yeah, and they're just like you know. Sometimes I I start to think that the way that capitalism has metastasized, uh, you know, requires a turnover at any cost. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So whether it's guns or denying people health care, 
you know, the system in its cynical way, it, you know, just allows for it. Well, you know, it is, as you said, a very powerful lobby and industry. And I was listening to your excellent interview with Obama. And, you know, he brought that up, how how gun sales go up after all these all these mass shootings. It's no, just, yeah. it's, it's just a... It's just a cash cow. Yeah, and, and always this over this this thing hanging over the the gun people is that they're going to take them away, and no one has ever no tried one's ever to take said it. a thing. It's just it's you know how how Trump could put out something on a Twitter, and then because it's on Twitter, yeah. it's true. It doesn't yeah. require mobilizes a, a movement on, in the, uh, the whole world. Exactly, and it, no, there's no background, there's no follow up, there's no nothing's based on truth. You know what? What is happening to the to our language? Yeah, a breakdown of 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 what intention is and yeah. what to believe. Yeah, and and it, just uh, you know, sort of like taking the time to process and source and you know, it's it, it's very alarming. I, I I don't know if this will, you know, pass on to generation to generation because you know, if people could just be talking about nothing to each other and just making outrageous and then you 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 say something hateful to somebody but it's all been said so many times you don't even feel the anger about it anymore yeah there's no so, yeah. so then you start losing your feelings of love and hate and yeah and it's just all words you know, yeah. these words that come back to just endure and, everything right. and everything's so immediate like my belief is that because of the immediacy of platforms and everyone's access to you know having a, a way to put their immediate feelings and reactions and hostility or whatever mm -hmm. out there that the you know tolerance is what begins to uh, uh, kind of fade away erode absolutely erode that's yeah, the word yeah but but like you know I in looking at you know some of the things you've done and like I, I want to talk about after hours but you know you've never stopped working yeah. Like oh. you do, you know, you do movies that, you know, maybe are questionable in quality, sure. no, but I, is it decline? And well, let's talk about after hours first. Sure. I mean, because that's an odd little movie. And I remember because I was sort of a film head in high school and it came out Well, I was in college, I guess, 85. But I was definitely into film and it was definitely some sort of departure uh, you know, for did Scorsese direct it or just produce it? Or did you? Direct no, he directed it. it. Yeah, uh, Amy and I produced it. Right, we, that was our third movie after Baby It's You. It was an interesting movie for him because mm -hmm. it was really, you know, it was it was a it was a comedy, you know, full oh, yeah. on, and there was a lot of interesting elements. It was sort of a journey, you know, like a almost like a picaresque, you know, process of you know moving through these different lives, but it was uh, it was menacing. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and then, you, but you never got the sense that, you know, it wasn't a comedy, but yeah. there was definitely some things in there that were uh, kind of specific to the time, you know, the the stuff with Roseanne Arquette and that, oh, that stuff with the, with the medication and the, like, mm -hmm. all the burns. That. So how did that come about? Well, the script was written by Joe Minion, who was a, it was basically his graduate, film graduate thesis. Uh-huh. Uh, script and he um, he worked for a director named Dujan Makaveev, who brought the script to Sundance. Yeah, not, not the festival, but the, the the workshop that happens over the summer. Makaveev was a, a important filmmaker. He was he? like a, a experimental filmmaker. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, anyway, he said my assistant has this crazy script, and and uh, that's my sir back. Yeah, anyway. that's all right. And so uh, Amy read it, couldn't stop picturing me in the role. Mm -hmm. And called me up, and, and she sent it to me, 
and I read it. It caused me such anxiety. I had to read it standing up with the script on the floor, and I turned the pages with my toe and just yeah. walk away and go, oh, my God, oh, my God. Yeah. So we optioned the script, by the way. Amy had been an actress for Scorsese and Mean Streets, um, and so she got the script to him. He was about to start shooting um, what would be Last Temptation of Christ. He was on the serious decline because uh, uh, Marty had just done King of a Comedy, which we all know is brilliant now, but it was a huge disaster then. And he was unbankable. And he's about to start doing this movie. Aidan Quinn was going to play Christ, and they pulled the plug. And so on the on his way back from Morocco, yeah, uh, this our script was on the top of his pile. And, uh, and we had to make it for a million and a half dollars. Nobody thought he could make a movie for a million and a half dollars, or thought he was funny, by the way. Yeah, but we knew we knew differently, and so he said, "Yeah, I want to do it." Um, and we introduced him to Michael Ballhouse, who just passed away. Uh, we worked with him on Baby It's You, and um, he's also responsible well, he's the for AD the, or no? He was the DP, sorry, oh, DP. Yeah, and 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 also responsible. It became became a huge collaboration, a long collaboration with with Marty. And a lot of the menacing and the tone you're talking about is because of the camera angles that, yeah. and movement that, that Michael and Marty came up with. Um, and, you know, we had like, I don't know, 30 days and all nights. And I got the grip guys to black out my windows in the apartment I was living in. And, you know, I'd come home. So and, it was real indie filmmaking. Oh, it was real deal. And, and in New York, of course, Soho, you could lie down on the street you know at that time of night yeah you know and um i mean it was quiet as a tomb yeah and very menacing yeah and uh you know uh, uh marty had this um he was allergic to cigarette smoke and oh he's asthmatic he's asthmatic yeah and, and uh and we were shooting a scene where i dropped to my knees and scream up at the sky what do you want with me i'm only a word processor i'm just trying to get laid and this uh, lofts are all on all sides all the lights are out except for one yeah and we're on like the fourth take I'm, what do you want from me and this woman throws up the loft her window and goes shut up just shut the fuck up and without missing a beat marty goes tell that lady to put out a cigarette <laughs> and uh, did that pleasure. like in Catherine O'Hara yeah like in Terry Gar, right Terry Gar. Catherine O'Hara was terrifying. terrifying it was just like you know what what I remember about that movie is this those weird uh, during that period in time where you would find yourself in apartments with women mm -hmm. and oh. not know anything about them no, no, and, and, how you... and also you know what the, I remember the part that killed me because I read so much into it mm. But I don't. Uh, it's good that you're here because I, I have this thing that I do now. It seems with uh, with actors is that you know, like there there are parts of movies that that stay with me for specific reasons, and I don't know if there's intent there. And some actors won't tell me, mm -hmm. even if they know these weird secrets. I'm like, did you mean? And they're like, I made a choice, but I'm not going to. It's happened twice. But but the scene where you end up in that gay guy's apartment. Mm -hmm and and like and you're up against the wall and it's a brick wall and you're ranting and i thought to myself that's a stand-up comedy show like there's a brick wall and mm -hmm. in my mind i'm like that's there for a reason that that was a reference was it um i i, I did no well the loft was the loft the brick wall came with a loft yeah and it was really a loft right or that like an apartment rather right and uh i 
hadn't thought of that. I just you're because pointing I was, that out because I was doing comedy and I'm like, yeah, of this course, is a, that brick wall is exactly. It's like a, a it's a riff it, on comedy. The, the the guy you know he's and and also playing for a man who thought you know he was going to have a romantic interlude mm-hmm. and you're just this straight guy with problems to an audience that could give a shit and I'm like that's a metaphor like like I built it in my mind but I can leave it at that no I'd like to re-answer that question you know when I was doing that yeah and I saw that wall yeah uh, I asked for the wall by the way you I did? said Marty I want I'm thinking of stand-up comedy. Oh, yeah, okay, okay. So okay. we're recutting it now. I'm just redoing it. I'm so stealing that. <laughs> it just, I just gave you a new part of your public narrative. <laughs> Thank you for that. What we were thinking, really, and I don't know if anyone picked up on it. <laughs> okay. You know, you do these, make these choices that maybe no one will notice, maybe they will. It doesn't matter. You know, it's part of my process. All right. <laughs> so you keep working and like you know and obviously producing but is it is it because you like to work uh yes i mean i mean i have that uh, i have that uh, little hamster heart that if i'm not if i'm not working i get really worried about myself you're I get, no I, good i just up yeah and and you know but but i i i also hate when i'm working on something and i hate what i'm doing or i hate what the thing is right know? and and i i, I remember once you know, having gone from after hours, you know, year, years have gone by, not that many. And I'm in Toronto and I'm doing a movie and I'm playing either an android or a Martian and I don't give a shit. <laughs> you don't even know what I you're don't, I don't even know what it is. And I'm going, this this can't, how did this happen? And so I how started- How did it happen? I made some bad choices. I kind of, what we were talking about before, yeah. I, I, I kind of- Got May, away from you. I, 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 but also, I, I had a very bad relationship with success. You know, and at the cost, it sort of came. I couldn't. I, I made some very destructive choices. Well, what did what did success do to you? What it, what was well, your reaction? Well, it was also you know that thing we were talking did about. Did you get cocky? Or, well, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. And I made. I, I just made. Um, I made very bad acting choices. I also, I also, and and I'm not saying this is good or bad. But at a time where I probably had the highest visibility as an actor, I decided to become a producer. And so running on empty, I went into, from after hours, instead of going on to the next big movie, Yeah, I turned down some very good movies. Yeah. Um, I went to be behind the camera and help Sidney Lumet make you know one of his better movies. Um, and I was off the range. That's amazing. Range. That, that, he directed Running on Empty? Yeah. Like he's like... Um, that that must have been amazing. It was amazing, and I, I learned all of it paid off later on because I became a director, and I learned so much from Sydney. Um, what did you learn? Because like I watched, um, Sydney Lumet did the verdict. Yep, and you you know I've watched that two or three times in the last couple of years. You know, coming back to it, mm-hmm. you know what he did, and I remember there was a risk there, you know, to cast uh, Paul Newman like that, but like to me. He was one of the best. Yeah, he sure was. And what what did you learn from him as a director? I mean, like you were well, producing the, the thing. Yes. Uh, well, um, as when I became a director, the the um, the the first feature I made was called Addicted to Love. Yeah. With Meg Ryan uh, and Matthew Broderick, and all of it set in one, uh, in one loft. Right. And what Mar- uh, what uh, Sydney used to do was get the exact dimensions, and put it out on tape, and he'd rehearsal the actors, and he'd get the props that they're going to do, and 
uh, and he'd rehearse for like a week. Now there's no time to do any of that stuff, and, mm -hmm. and there's no money or anything. But at that right. time, I had the money, or Warner's had it. And so I had a chance to take that technique and work with the... Uh, we worked out all the problems with the script beforehand. So when we got to the set, it was like completely familiar. Um, saved a lot of time. So it's like, it's practical, utilitarian, kind of like, you know, this is how you do it. A absolutely. I also, I also learned he would nap. He would take a nap every... Um, for lunch break he wouldn't he wouldn't he just go lie down and that's why you know he was like in his 70s even then you know i mean and he and just he'd already had, done like serpico oh, and like uh, five, uh 12 angry men the um, and network yeah yeah uh, i mean the greatest movies yeah. uh and he had the most this guy had more energy the than anyone broker. i ever saw in my life you know he did the pawn bro yeah he did no he went through live television right through the Greatest period in movies in our time during the seventies, Dog Day Afternoon. Dog Day Afternoon. I mean, you know, he networks of genius, Prince of the City. Like, oh my God, you know. Uh, yeah. And then, you know, toward the toward the end of his life, he made that incredible movie that What the Devil Knows or something. Before the With, Devil Knows, you're dead. Yes. Right. I mean, that was as hardcore as anything the Coen Brothers ever did. Yeah. And he was well into his eighties when he did that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, he was he was extraordinary. So, it, it, what did I learn? I learned about preserving your energy and inspiration and putting out and, and the way he talked to the actors the, the way he loved his actors yeah. it made him feel so good about what they were doing and uh and rehearsing in the in the rehearsing yeah yeah so it was i don't know there was a so it, that was worth uh not taking the big parts. Uh, absolutely it all that's what i mean is all choices yeah. i made then pay off later well you have to look at it that way after a certain point absolutely if, if because you, at the time you don't. You know what no, have I fucking done? Yeah, it's like that old thing. It's like uh, you know where you know things will work out the way they're supposed to. Mm -hmm. It's like there's no that's bullshit. <laughs> it's like, but as you get older, you realize there's really no way to look at it. Yeah, yeah. You know, everything right. happens for a reason. That's the other one. It, now, it, you can't think that way. Uh -huh. Like you're gonna have to mm -hmm. if you don't want to live be bitter. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because otherwise, I'm just gonna track down the reason department and find the guy who runs it and beat the shit out of him. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah, where'd you hear that one? I just made it up. <laughs> Did you? I swear to God. That's just flew good, out of my mouth. You're the reason department. <laughs> <laughs> that guy's up to no good. Yeah, I hate like, that fucker. Yeah, he's just trying to fuck us every day. <laughs> every time. Putting out that ridiculous. But but so like tell me so what happened then let's go back so to anyway, your, in uh, an al alien outfit. So I'm in the alien outfit and I start to uh I start to write a um a a script. I, start, I write a short script and uh and it's based on a party that my aunt and uncle gave uh in the 60s that um i was 11 years old and they let me come to it was a party to for tom wolf and, okay so and, for bonfire or no no, no earlier. we're talking here this is candy colored electric Kool -Aid electric kool-aid okay had just come out yeah and they were giving him a party they had a house in uh, hollywood hills this sort of rumbling rambling uh-huh you know, rotting villa kind of a thing. Janis Joplin was going to come to the party. I was insane about Janis Joplin. You were what, eight? I was 11, uh -huh. 12. And um, and so I fretted. And my, John and John were always let me go. And my mom was letting me go and it was a school night. I couldn't yeah. believe it. Yeah. So I was fretting about what to wear and what am I going to say to Janice and what if she finds out I'm there with my mother and I'm never going to get to her yeah. motel and, and she's not going to think I'm cool. Yeah. I, oh, I had a, such confidence yeah, in, yeah. in my charm with around Janice. Anyway, 
we get to this party and this i never got to meet janice and did she not come she came yeah but, uh, uh my mom took me home early oh anyway i wrote a short story about this night or a short short script and um and the producer of the alien movie um also had a deal for short films at showtime uh-huh and took this on and gave me got me the money for it and uh uh, so I made this short movie, and I cast uh, you know Uma Thurman and Tobey Maguire and Kiefer Sutherland and Elliot Gould, and got this really and it got an Academy Award nomination. What was it called? Duke of Groove. Okay. And it was you know very autobiographical, and uh, you know I even used some of the film in the documentary I'm making about Joan because of Janice and Jim right. Morrison and all the the people that she interviewed over the years came up and. I, so uh, how about that? Uh, that that I went to the reason department. I thanked him. For yeah. That. Oh, good. I thanked him. Yeah. Sent him a fruit. That basket. guy gets no love. <laughs> yeah. One fruit basket he's gotten in a long time. <laughs> so uh, yeah. Anyway, that turned uh, that then I it, it it got me out of the acting hole because now I now I could throw myself into directing. Well, there's a lot of reward of creativity from the ground up there. Absolutely, and everything that I've been doing as a producer, I understood what how to apply it as a director. Right. Everything I'd learned as an actor helped me in, in, in working with the actors and, and uh, I, I'd never felt so at home on a set in my life. It was like all of this, everything made sense. Oh, that's great. That's yeah. a good feeling. Elliot Gould, he's got stories. He sure he, does. I've I worked with him and uh, on, on my show and uh, you know he's one of those guys where you know you feel like the story's ongoing even if you're not there that he's still telling it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's really funny because he, he's telling a story in this movie uh-huh. and uh, about um, Bob Dylan writing um, uh. about a song writing for Nico. And uh, and because I've heard him tell stories, and I said, "Do that storytelling thing yeah, you do." Yeah, and and he, he just tells this total bullshit story about Bob Dylan <laughs> yeah. writing "I'll Keep It with Mine" for Nico. Yeah, it's a, I, I, you know, I'd like to interview Elliot. I, you know, it was weird being on set with him because, like, he really, like, there's a rise and fall. Oh, and, yeah, and uh, you know, and he knows why it happened. Oh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's uh, you know, like uh, uh, restraint of pen and mouth or whatever. That, yeah, you know. you know, I was a. Um, I, I I would grow up, go on lots, studio lots, yeah. and I lived not far from 20th Century Fox. And when you were a kid, when I was a kid, and uh, uh, I remember wandering onto the one of the sets on on the Fox lot, and uh, and I saw Elliot Gould doing a scene with James Caan. Ah, oh, yeah, for uh, what was that? We hiring Walter go to <laughs> exactly. New York. Exactly. Yeah, and they were so well. Elliot particularly was so. Um, the bad behavior was unbelievable. Yeah. And I was watching as a young actor going, oh, God, I hope I don't act like that. Or yeah, yeah, is that yeah. what I'm supposed to act yeah. like when I get famous? Yeah. And it was just like watching and he was slowing shit down and exasperating people and uh, talking. Yeah, and yeah. Then getting angry. And it was like, he's a totally different person now. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, but it was like him at yeah him at his highest and at his worst yeah that was a that was an odd little movie i'm um, harry really walter they play uh like a pre-vaudeville entertainment pre-vaudeville yeah yeah so you and now you're directing theater as well and you, no you, no i didn't direct theater i i um just stuck with movies i acted in a play uh a guy named howard quarter wrote yeah search and destroy yeah and i did that that was on broadway that, was, that, that was later in the 90s how was that, experience? that was um that was incredible and it yeah. was a brilliant, brilliant play. And Marty produced the movie of it. Yeah. Uh, and I played the guy um, in, a, in an independent film. Did you stay with, in touch with Marty? I, oddly, through gun control, 
Um, yeah. He he called me. He knows I was involved with that. And yeah. He wanted to. He had another person who was also involved and wanted to put us together, and uh, and he also interviewed Joan. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had that in common. And uh, it's interesting how like you, you know I always and I still do like like I just my life is not small but like it's busy. And, you know, people, you know, who have been around a while and have all these relationships and know, have been in movies or worked with all these people, there, there's, I want to believe everybody kind of t- keeps in touch, but no mm-hmm. one keeps in touch with anybody. You have two friends. Yeah, and, it always uh, blows my mind. Yeah. Um, you know, um, it happened, uh, this thing, back to the, to the I Love Dick, Kevin and Catherine, yeah. I'm quite certain, will be, always be in touch. Oh, yeah? Uh, but I haven't had that feeling in a really long time. It's like that. also that thing like when you're just starting out and you're going on location in a movie, you're looking at the crew list and you're thinking, who am I going to sleep with? Yeah. Who is the thing? <laughs> well, nobody. Some, I'm sure that still goes on, but I haven't seen it. Um, and, yeah, that's you behind know, you, buddy. That's way behind. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but, but, you know, I, I remember one of the very first uh, jobs I did also was a... Uh, we were in Poland, uh-huh. and it was during Gdansk, the strike, and uh-huh. uh, all the actors became incredibly close. And Rosanna Arquette, who I would eventually work with later on, yeah. and and Tom Conti, who became a really close friend, and uh, and Eli Wallach was in it. And Eli Wallach was watching us, and he was like obviously much older than everybody. And he goes, you know, you guys all think you're all going to keep in touch for the rest of your lives, but I'm telling you. Once they say rap, it's arrivederci, baby. <laughs> <laughs> and you won't hear from each other again. And we all looked at you with, that's not going to happen. Not here. That's not. not and then eventually, us. after about 30 movies, it does happen. Sure. You don't even see it happening. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it, it takes less than that. You, yeah, you right, know? right. But I think there's some, there's some part of the experience of community on a set that is very genuine, Absolutely. but it can't sustain itself. Mm-hmm. Because no. the one thing you forget when you're on a set is that everyone's got fucking lives. Right. And they've taken time away from that Absolutely. to do this. Mm-hmm. It's a fantasy, you know, both in front of the camera and what happens on screen. Right. You know? Well, that's why, uh, you know, guys who aren't actors who are married to beautiful actresses yeah. and, go, and they go in location, that's yeah. why they have nervous breakdowns. Of course, and they should. Yeah, and they should. <laughs> <laughs> it's all true it's all true everything you heard <laughs> don't marry a famous actress do not <laughs> well i tell you uh, you know i i you know i'm a fan of jill Soloway, and yeah. I, you know and, and everybody's in the cast is great and the world is unique and you know my uh you know my girlfriend's a painter so she sort of knows the oh the, yeah the world. incredible artists you, they've dug up for yeah this. but it's like it's a real world that 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 has its own folly in it and its own ridiculousness and and drama and and, it, and it's never been seen before uh, certainly not in this way and you're doing a great job and i and i think it's uh it's an interesting and good show and it's fun too sure it's fun good talking to you griffin great talking to you too mark Griffin Dunn, beautiful, beautiful talk, nice guy, doing a great job on I Love Dick. You can watch that on Amazon. And, uh, you know, that's it. That's it for now. Is that okay? Did we do enough? Where's my fucking pick? You guys, go see that Grateful Dead movie, that documentary, if you're prone to that. If you've got a soft spot in in your heart for the dead, go spend four hours and watch that movie. I don't know when it opens. I'm going to stick my earplug back in and play a guitar because uh, it's one of the two things I like doing. And the other one, you probably don't even know the other one. I know what you think it is. 
There's no Satan, right? Right?